You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 21, covering Friday's Child and the Deadly Years. Hello, folks. How's it going, everybody? Out Where's there again? For your antipathy? Is that even a word? Uh, It is now. Antipathy. Yes. You know Uh, what? Shakespeare made up words. We can make up words, too. Yeah. Antipodes. Yeah, and if that guy was so great, great, how come he's dead? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Um... Another good point is that we got a couple of crappy episodes this oh, week. Oh, God. This is this is our penance. Now, mind you, we didn't get a couple of, like, these aren't both the Apple. No. They're just... Which is still our current gold standard for shitty Star Trek. The problem was these were both sort of middle of the road, maybe slightly below average. Yep. Like, they both had a couple of good moments, but overall, just kind of dumb concepts. Oh, God. So, uh, Matt, if you would take it away with uh, Friday's Child. Okay, Friday's Child, which, by the way, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, I, I, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the Enterprise arrives at Capella 4, a planet with no musical instruments, to secure the mining rights to dig for precious stones. Kirk, Spock, and Bones, who visited the planet years ago and knows all about their bizarre and ridiculous culture, beam down along with Ensign killed almost immediately. There they see that the Capellans are also dealing with the Klingons. When Ensign, killed almost immediately, tries to shoot the Klingon, one of the Capellans throws a screaming saucer at him, killing him almost immediately. The Capellans take the crew into custody, relieving them of their weapons and the flute bones brought with them. They are taken to the Capellans' leader, Akar, and they also meet with Elien, Akar's pregnant wife. While the crew is in their quarters, a fight breaks out for some reason, and Akar is killed. His second-in-command takes over and orders that Elien and her baby be killed. Kirk saves them, breaking some stupid rule or other, and they are all imprisoned. In their cell, Kirk overpowers the guards by engaging them in a pillow fight, really, and everyone escapes into the hills. The Klingons and the Capellans come come looking for them, a search which mostly involves wandering around the mountains in single file for days at a time, ruining picnics. Elian gives birth to a typically hideous baby, and while Kirk and Spock are preparing defenses against the Capellans, she beams bones with an orange and escapes. She meets up with the Capellans, claiming that her baby that she killed her baby and the Enterprise crew, but the Klingon does not believe her and pulls a phaser on her. Kirk and Spock shoot the shoot arrows at the Klingon, nailing him in the knee, and the second in command Capellan allows himself to be killed to stop the Klingon. After all this ruckus, Elian is put in charge, and the Federation gets the mining rights, and I am so bored. Yeah, the thing is, uh, we we weren't really sure what this one was. Like, we're both fairly steeped in in Star Trek. We've read a lot of episode guides. We've seen a handful of episodes each, and we're both like Friday's Child. Matt says, "I think I remember there being uh, Klingons in that one," um, and that's about it. Yeah. So we turned this one on, kind of not knowing what to expect. We saw that DC Fontana wrote it. Uh, that chick usually knows what's what. And yeah. We're like, oh, good. We this, both this simultaneously so when DC is like written by DC Fontana. Oh, good. Oh. Whew. Well, at least uh, at least this one will be okay. And it wasn't. No, it was not. It there, was... there is a great subplot in this with Bones and the, the pregnant chick. Yes. That I, I would like to think... I don't know this to be true at all. This is total speculation on my part. I would like to think that's the part DC Fontana wrote, and the rest of it kind of got rewritten by committee or something. By Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> Probably. Nothing can happen in this. The, that's my the... vision of the future. 
well, there was plenty of conflict, at least. I mean, yeah. his, you know, part of his problem was all, all of the uh, restrictions that he put on things made it very difficult to create conflict, which you <sighs> need for drama. Yeah. But there was, there was plenty of conflict here. It was just stupid, pointless conflict. Everyone was fighting all the time over rules that we didn't really understand. Oh, they had this weird society where, like, you had to kill the guy in front of you, and then when you killed him, you had to kill everyone else to <laughs> establish that you were the guy who killed the other guy. It was fucking <laughs> retarded. You die, and we all move up in rank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and they, they're possibly the most ridiculous-looking uh, humanish aliens we've seen so far, oh. mostly because of their costumes. Oh, yeah, we get, like, they're described as this warrior race with, like, a proud tradition of something or other, and they all just mince about in these, like, super tight spandex yeah, they're, coveralls They're like um, brightly colored leotards. Like Wrapped some in feather boas. In- Purple ones and orange ones and yeah. And this guy's um, got a flat hat and this guy's like. Well, you got a... the the guy. Most of them had those uh, ponytails that sort of come up from the top of their heads. Uh, those were in fashion when I was in high school in the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, you know, at that sort of the height of my uh, hormonal explosion. Sure. So uh, every time I saw one of those top ponytails, I caught myself checking the dude out, and then whoa, what am I doing? Ah, because you know math class and yeah, the just, top oh, ponytail so... and. Not good. Hey, um, ponytail and spandex. Well, I'll just no. That's a man. <laughs> not a, not a good looking man either. Like, no, that's a lumpy man <laughs> stuffed into a leotard. Yeah, you pointed out near the end of the episode. There's a guy that had no business in one of those. Oh God, standing or like near the end where they stop fighting and he's sort of standing at attention, well, slumping at attention, yes. I suppose. Bro. Dumpiest oh. looking warrior I've ever seen. Bro, the battle that. <laughs> <laughs> Botany Bay. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, one thing I'm surprised you didn't point out: uh, the the pregnant chick was uh, Julie Newmar. Oh yeah, she was. Uh, among other things, she was one of the cat wom- cat womans. I was she the first? I believe that she was the first. Yes, because there's Julie Newmar, Eartha Kitt, and the and the rest. One. Yeah, no, there were three. I don't remember the other one. People are screaming at their iPods right now, and. Uh... Well, I know it they too. can they wondering. can write into the show and we will ignore them. I haven't checked that mailbox in months. I probably should get around to that. <laughs> anyway, no, she was she was quite attractive. I, yeah. Before I even realized who she was, I was like she's uh, she's all right, and and not in a like a a drooly way, just in a she was very like beautiful. Like I bought her as a queen or whatever the hell yep. she was supposed to be, and she looked sort of severe in the way that her character was supposed to be, like not bitchy exactly, just like royalty and expected to be treated that way and she really pulled it off she was kind of a badass despite being a subjugated woman and pregnant for most of the episode she still managed to be a badass yep which was impressive also Um, managed to stay pregnant despite the fact that she was thrown around pretty much constantly yeah there was there was a lot of that and then there's the scene where bones kind of wins her respect by she keeps he keeps trying to reach for her belly to see if the baby's okay Mm because you know that's the cool thing about doctors yeah that's the cool thing about Bones. Even in a terrible, terrible episode, and this wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't very good, mm. he manages to salvage it by with by being charming, by being virtuous. He, he's he got that whole Hippocratic Oath thing, and it doesn't feel contrived. It just feels like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to I'm gonna do my job. This woman needs to be looked after. And he's trying to feel her stomach, and she slaps him in the face. He goes in again. She slaps him in the face a second time. And then he's like, I, I, got, enough, I got enough to worry about. And he slaps her back. <laughs> And it's not like a dude hitting a chick. It wasn't that vibe. It was just like, knock it off. I'm trying to help you. And from that point forward, she kind of backed off and started suddenly clinging to him and 
Only the McCoy may help me. Yeah. She wouldn't let anyone else touch her or, like, help her. And, you know, even when I'm not trying very hard to read juvenile sexual things where they're not intended, it's hard to overlook that. Mm -hmm. Like, she totally submits to him once he slaps her back. Oh, well. It's really hard to misinterpret what's going on. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's There are relationships like that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's fine. Yep. Good for them. It's just kind of surprising on this show. Ugh. Yeah, um, we we, were, we came back to the Fortune and Precious Stones location. Always nice to be back there. The, uh, the that same rock formation. Yeah, uh, they tried to shoot it from different angles, but they're not fooling anybody. <laughs> I, I like I like to believe that Shatner sort of arrives and goes, "Ah, home again." <laughs> Maybe that's his. I don't know, ranch or yeah, that's something. where he built. That's where he built his ranch, where he keeps his horses. Right, that he loves throughout the entire series, and not just suddenly in the very last movie he appears in. Yes. Horses. He's always been about horses. Yes. God, he loves yeah. those horses. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's and him and Nimoy running... have always been best friends. Oh, best. The very best of friends. Speaking of Nimoy, Spock just seems sort of distracted in this whole episode. Like, <laughs> my theory was that he just broke up with somebody. and he's, <laughs> he's kind of brooding off in the corner and he's not really contributing. He's just like, uh, I'm going to go listen to some music, Jim. You figure this out. <laughs> I feel uh, kind of dead inside. Right uh, Spock, could you maybe give us a hand here? I'm going to cave, go listen to the cure for a while. <laughs> Captain, boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. <laughs> um, Spock, per- are you pawn farring again? God damn it. I wish I'd brought my harp. <clears throat> I'm this really one, glad you didn't. This one goes out to Julie. Um, Kirk and his makeshift weapons, that was a little ridiculous. Oh, God. <laughs> we're, we're meant to think he's building a bow and arrow, and it just, it looks like the flimsiest piece of crap. <gasps> thank God. Spock, thank God. This planet is rich in twine plants. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he builds this thing that looks like something you or I could do, and, and we have absolutely no survival skills whatsoever. It, just a stick and a length of string. Yep. And somehow he manages to, to get it, you know, uh tight enough and and sharp enough and so forth that he actually uh, makes a difference in the ensuing battle and i I just don't buy it i i just want to picture the cling the the clinging Clinging. approaching him when he shoots an arrow at it just sort of bounces off his head yeah what what was that supposed to be exactly (laughs) can we talk about that clinging oh god the schlubbiest clinging we've ever had okay now Granted, we don't have the distinctive, you know, forehead ridges and stuff yet. They don't have the budget for that. No. But the the previous uh, Klingon uh, character we've seen had the Fu Manchu. He had a, a very distinctive, like, uh, uh, heavy brow. I mean, he wasn't alien looking, but he did at least look sort of evil. Yeah, we talked about how he sort of, you know, encapsulated everything Klingons would go on to be, you know, in the later shows. Yeah, it's like if if you if you gave a really skilled makeup person five dollars mm. and said make this guy look as Klingon as you possibly can, that's what they did. They they did the best with what they had. Yeah, and and Matt and I as as you know lifetime fans of the later series totally bought him as a Klingon. Yeah, this guy not so much. No, he was just a balding, dumpy, middle aged, unkempt. Yeah, and and not only the the look of him, but character wise, he was cowardly. He was kind of Weasley. He lied. Yeah. I mean, we haven't fleshed out the whole honor culture thing yet. Like, that'll come in next gen when they decide, you know, to build this whole culture thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other Klingons we see, both before and after this, do sort of fit in that general mold. Like, the retcon fit what we'd already seen. Yeah. 
they're adversaries, but they're honorable. They stand their ground. They're not really liars. And th- this guy just, he was kind of a mincing. Well, he wasn't really mincing. I no, he was, he, was, he was lumbering. Yeah, but he's very cowardly, very shoot you in the back kind of guy. And Klingons just aren't like that. I kept expecting him, him to go. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of that. It was it was unfortunate. Um, <laughs> I didn't like this guy at all. <laughs> we both like heard his name at some point or read it, and was like, "That's nah, forgettable." Who cares? Cannot be bothered. Yeah, I, I'm thankful that he's not one of the guys that they deemed uh, worth bringing back. Yeah, one of the like ones that, uh, that that Dax, Dax wanted admired. to bang. Yeah, no, he's he didn't make that list. Oh, you didn't hear about what's his face from Friday Child? Oh, Friday's Child. Oh, he was so honorable and. Crap. Uh. Yeah, I, no, love let, the, let, I love the way he lumbered about the mountains. Well, I think he's dead, too, so that helps. Yeah, that's true. The other ones, you know, were worthy enough adversaries that they managed to escape with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what is up with that title? Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I did a quick, uh, I did a little bit of research by which, uh, I mean, while you were reading your summary, I Googled it. <laughs> and uh, I, I did remember there is a stupid little poem, you know, Monday's Child is blah, 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 Tuesday's Child, blah, blah, blah. Friday's Child to... to Try to read some meaning into this uh, into this title is loving and giving. I saw um, no loving or giving in this episode. No, all there was I an saw... affectionate relationship, but I wouldn't call it loving. There was a lot of slapping. All I saw was another ugly baby. <laughs> well, your prejudice against babies really, uh, and yeah. I have that I have that prejudice as well, and I'm trying to keep it out of it. For... Yeah, this was a rough week for me. Babies and old people. <laughs> yeah, you don't uh, you don't like the extremes of. Uh, of human aging. The age. ravages of age. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I don't really get that title. Um, Adrian actually was asking, uh, I think for last week's episodes, uh, why the episode Metamorphosis was called that. Because nothing seemed to have metamorphosized or metamorphosed or however you say that. And he's not wrong. I think a lot of times they just... Uh, they just throw a word up there or a phrase up there that sounds good. Yeah. See, this is why we this is why we're always doing the name the episode joke because we can usually name better ones. Right. And um and, you know, of course, later on they'll start doing those utterly ridiculous, you know, 10-word titles. Mm. For the world is hollow and I have touched the sky, for instance. I bet that has nothing to do with the episode. <laughs> for the world is hollow and I have touched what little girls are made of. <laughs> you're uh you're, you're getting into some uh, Scary territory there. Yes. Now, didn't you didn't you say that that little baby uh, grown up shows up in the some extended universe? Yeah, that like kid shows up in the extended universe as like an admiral. 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 Oh yeah, and at the end, uh, they get back. They do their stupid laugh on the bridge. Um, I'm not stepping on your quote of the episode, am I? No. Okay. They get up, they do their laugh on the bridge, and uh, it's revealed that the baby is named Leonard James. Whatever. Yeah, Spock has a great thing that I'm going to get to. For yeah. The quote. Um, and it's like, wait, okay, Leonard, I get because she totally bonded with him. She totally had a thing. At one point, she referred to it as his child. Yep. Uh, but she had nothing to do with Kirk. She didn't like Kirk. He, he kind of, she kind of kept him at arm's length. Yep. How did he get that James Crowbard in there? I absolutely believe the fact that she found out he was going to name the, or he found out she was going to name the baby Leonard Akar, and he's like, you're not, you're not naming anybody without getting a James in there. Yeah. Look, I got children all over the galaxy. I need to uh, I need to plant my flag here. I'd shove a Tiberius in there too if anyone knew that was my name yet. No, that that won't be official canon until Star Trek 6. Um, so the anything else about Tiberius. this one? Is that is that it? I think that's it. All right, moving on to mine, The Deadly Years, uh, which is at least the title that makes sense. Yes. 
so this is my first opportunity to make a point that I will continue to make throughout the various incarnations of Star Trek we plan to cover on this show. I hate episodes where the crew turn into stuff. Oh look, they're lizards. They're children. They're lizard children. Stupid. This concept never works for me, not even here, where it all began. In this stupid episode, Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, and some adorable little pixie chick turn into old people. Not only is this kind of dumb because we have to watch everyone hamming it up in their own peculiar community stage player idea of what an old person looks like, but it's also a little awkward because now, from our vantage point of almost 50 years hence, we already know what they'll be like as old people. Sadly, two of them will be corpses. No makeup in the world could simulate the ugly puffiness that overcame Shatner in the ensuing decades. Nimoy, okay, they're actually not too far off with him. I suppose you want me to recap what actually happens in the actual story, rather than just dancing around vaguely thematic issues, but that's sort of the problem. Very little happens. They go to a planet, they catch the old people's disease, they spend the next 40 minutes being old. Matt compared the experience to standing behind an old person in a checkout line. That seems fairly accurate to me. Oh, there's a decent subplot involving the only Commodore we've seen so far who isn't a total jerk. Commodore Stalker is a lifelong bureaucrat who really doesn't want to take command from the gradually enfeebled Kirk, but he's ultimately left with no choice and very politely requests a competency hearing. It's not his fault this hearing scene actually causes the audience to age prematurely with this agonizingly paced non-action. Eventually, and I mean eventually in this sense is used like, uh, you might say, eventually drops of water can create interesting cave formations, the hearing ends and Stalker takes command. He ends up way over his head in battle with some Romulans, and it's kind of nice because his incompetence isn't the result of poor writing. He's just a character who has no business commanding a starship during a crisis. Fortunately, Bones works out how to fix everything in the nick of time, and Kirk sprints onto the bridge to save the day with his vigor, virility, and potency. Then, I promise I'm not tacking this on as a made-up punchline, he leaves the bridge to go bang a hot blonde. Oh, and if you're wondering what caused this whole aging thing, a comet. Just like the one that killed Mark Twain. I'm Travelers. I'm Travelers. The old, first old man we see in the episode looks just like him. At, at least at the very beginning when we see the, uh, the the colonists who were, like, I think in their 20s, mm. uh, you know, having been affected by this thing, they cast actual old people. So it wasn't all, you know, bad age makeup. Yes. Although that said, the age makeup wasn't terrible. Uh, okay. I, I noticed that the time they had the most trouble was sort of between the crew as they are now and the crew old. Yeah, the, the the extreme old makeup looked good. The gradual, like, the beginning of it looked good. But yeah. But the middle, where, where they're, like, 50 or 60. Yeah, it's, well, great. what the fuck do people look like when they're 50 or 60? And Nobody honestly, knows. There's no way of finding out. <laughs> honestly, it was the hair I had problems with more than anything. Oh, God, yeah. Bones apparently Kirk's. decided to turn blonde when he got old. Yeah, most of the age ones, like, they must have only had spare blonde wigs to turn gray. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't look great. Scotty, oddly enough, you put a you put a mustache on him, and face wise, uh, he looked pretty much the way he'll look. I mean, he'll, yep. you know, below the below the neck, he'll get huge. <laughs> but face wise, they they actually got it pretty close, which was cool. <laughs> um, and the age makeup on Bones actually quite closely resembled uh, the age makeup they'll use on him uh, in his little cameo appearance at the beginning of Next Gen, which is nice. Yeah, we actually talked about them possibly sort of going back to this episode when they were deciding to use DeForest Kelly in that episode. Yeah, because I mean, it, it, they put the age lines the same place. The hair is yeah. the same. It looks it looks very similar. But yeah, the, the like Shatner's hair, where it's suddenly blonde, like in the middle, and it's sort of doing that Reed Richards gray thing in the temples. Yep, it it did not look good. No, it looked very flat too. Yeah, um, when I don't think we ever really figured out uh, Chekhov was on the away mission, and I don't think we ever figured out why he wasn't affected. Yeah, he just kind of wasn't. Um, there's a there's a 
fanfic, uh, fan-made uh, new episodes, the New Voyages, I think it's called. Yeah. It was called that at one point, and I think they changed the name. It doesn't matter. Anyway, they did an episode where they managed to get Walter Koenig now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, this is set during the original series. Why don't we use actual old Walter Koenig? And rather than contriving a time travel story, we'll make him get old. And so it was set like the week after, and the effects of this kind of caught up with him, and he suddenly got old. And then they substituted current Walter Koenig. I thought that was a, a clever way to to use the actual aged actor. I thought that was a neat idea. The old age uh, disease was all part of his plan to get promoted. Everyone <laughs> dies of old age. And we all move up in We bank. all move up in bank. <laughs> Again. Um, I liked Stalker. Um, I don't know how you can rise to Commodore with no command experience. but it's At all. Cool to, yeah. But, it, but it's cool to see a character who's not a jerk. Uh, who like a Commodore? He's not mm-hmm. just like constantly trying to to wrest command away from from Kirk, which is uh, all he, we've ever seen from Commodores in this show, and we've seen them a lot. Yeah, uh, he really did respect Kirk's authority. Like, yes, mm. I outrank you, but you're in charge of this ship, and I respect yeah. that. Uh, but you know, eventually he had to say, "All right, look, you're not fit for command. I don't want to do this, but I got to." And he did sort of crack under the pressure. I just I liked I liked him kind of like the the previous episode. There's a nice B plot here. The nice mm-hmm. there's a nice subplot that. Is the only salvageable thing about the the mess of an A plot. Oh uh, yeah. Um, but I liked him. I liked he had a he had a very nice sort of classic Hollywood leading man voice. I am an actor. Yeah, and he, he didn't ham it up at all. No, he, just, he had a very deep commanding voice, which was uh, very pleasant to listen to. Yes. Um, <laughs> that one blonde chick that I alluded to uh, at the end, where Kirk leaves the bridge, he leaves the bridge with that smirk on his face and takes her arm. And says, uh, you know, Sulu, you take over. And it's very obvious he's going off to, to bone her. <laughs> now I'm going home to sleep with my wife. <laughs> um, she seems to have a thing for older men. Yeah. Um, the, Kirk had a history with her, and they broke up, and then she got married, I guess. And uh, her husband was substantially older than she. And then uh, she turns an eye to Kirk as he begins aging. Yep. Say. Like, uh, it's kind of creepy, but again, it's kind of like that slapping thing where it's like, you know, these these sort of fetishy things really do happen. Yep. And it makes the characters a little more real to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's creepy, and the, the chick probably has daddy issues, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a thing. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, makes them, it makes them less cardboard when they have weird things like that. <laughs> if only there were more episodes to explore the various Star Trek characters' fetishes. Oh, man. We could do a whole separate podcast just on that. Like Janeway's wanting to turn into a lizard so she can bang another lizard. Oh. <laughs> like I said, I hate episodes where people turn into stuff. Mm-hmm. What, what I don't... Actually, turning into stuff is okay, sci-fi-wise. What I don't like is when they can turn back with no effects whatsoever. Yeah, just hit the off switch. Yeah, aging does things to your body that cannot be changed. Like, especially when you start losing your memory and stuff, like, things start to degrade. Mm-hmm. You're not going to rebuild those brain cells and recapture those memories. I think when they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I don't care about the actual science of it, but I care about the basic logic of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, if if that happens to someone, that needs to be a permanent thing to me. That's that's my big problem with it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the cute pixie chick died. Um, that really pissed me off. I like that chick. Yeah, she was adorable. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, she they had to show that this was affecting them at different rates, and some of them might die, and so they had to kill off the one we didn't know. And no at least main characters, but... Uh, well, of course not. But at least it wasn't a uh, an anonymous red shirt this time. Yes. Like Her they, shirt was blue. <laughs> well, that means she was a scientist. Yes. He wasn't security, so that's, a you know, at least a different thing. Um, I think this is the first time we heard Kirk's age. 
Yeah, that was uh, officially shock. stated. Yeah, he's 34, which, I mean, I, uh, I, I buy that as, like, he's the youngest captain in the fleet. I buy that mm. he can make it just barely. Like, he hasn't been a captain for very long. Um, unfortunately, that's two years younger than I am now, and uh, I'm not exactly commanding a starship, so that that's, makes me feel a little... Uh, that was that that seemed weird to me. It's like finding out you're older than Batman, you know? <laughs> well, I'm older than Superman because he's supposed to be perpetually 29, right? Yeah, well, so is Batman. Yeah. So that's, it was uh, bad that's... enough when I was older than Spider-Man. <laughs> well... This again. This is a whole other podcast here. Yeah. Oh. But uh, you know, it's it's weird to think. Um, you know, you think of these as their young days, as mm. like this is when they were young, and they're in their mid thirties. At least gives me a little hope. Like, yeah. Okay. One day I'll look back on on now as when I was young. That's nice. That's that's good. <laughs> um. Overall, though, I thought this episode didn't have a lot. Didn't have enough comedy. There were a lot of really broad laughs from the vaudevillian idea of getting old. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, I don't remember things. Oh, I can't. What's that, Sonny? Eh? <laughs> what? But I, I thought they could have done some subtle character uh, comedy, and they kind of blew that, I think. Mm -hmm. Food is so expensive these days, Bones. Yeah. Have you noticed that? And unfortunately, most of the most of the references and jokes I want to make about old people in the future pretty much just are Professor Farnsworth jokes. So <laughs> I don't want to just read a Futurama script here. So I've been trying to avoid those. It does explain why Spock invented the thing longer, though. <laughs> Man, you should see him do the Vulcan salute when he's got that on. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about this one? Or? No, I think that's it for Fred, All or right. for whatever the hell this one was called. Deadly Years. The Deadly Years, that one. Yes. All right. So uh, you got something for Friday's child? All right. In the, future, in the future, it is perfectly acceptable for a proud warrior race to prance about in ponytails and feather boas. <clears throat> and for mine, for the deadly years, in the, future, in the future, humanity has eliminated money, disease, poverty, and war, but the ravages of age are as horrifying as ever, as we will discover together as we continue into the movies. Yeah. It was five years between, uh, between uh, the last episode of uh, Star Trek and the, and the first movie, right? Uh, I don't know about story time, but no, it was considerably more time. No, no, I know it was longer life. than that in real life, but I re seem to remember it being like five years between. Uh, uh, I don't know the the extended the universe. The movie. I believe because you know we get three seasons, and then I believe they you know they finish their five year mission. So yeah, let's assume two more years, and then I think the story is they went on another five year mission. Ah, uh, okay, that would explain. And then the movie, so that would be like seven years. Because like, wow, five years that shit hit you guys hard. No, I, I always, I mean, because I, I think they said a bunch of books during the second five-year mission. Yeah, okay. And the, the general overall accepted thing in the books, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is this is what the older books said, was uh, star, like starships of this class, of like the bigger, you know, like the, the Constitution class. Mm. Constitution, right, yes, Constitution class. Um, are, are sent out five years at a time, and then they come back home for an extensive rehaul. Ah. Overhaul. Okay. Refit. So, yeah, that's... Uh, so they go out for five years, then they come home for a bit, then they go out for five more years, and then they come home for another refit, and then the movie happens. That's, huh, all I right. think, I think, I could be wrong. All right, uh, for, uh, you got a quote of the episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my quote of the episode comes right at the end when uh, uh, Kirk and McCoy reveal that uh, the kid's been named after them, and Spock has his little pithy moment, which I always enjoy. Representing the high tier, Leonard James Akahar. The child was named Leonard James Akaar. Has a kind of a ring to it, don't you think, James? 
Yes, I think it's a name destined to go down in galactic history, Leonard. What do you think, Spock? I think you're both going to be insufferably pleased with yourselves for at least a month. Sir. Actually, mine, not surprisingly, is also Spock having a pithy moment. Only, I, I don't know if this was meant to indicate that he's, because he's uh, losing his shit, that he's not very good at insulting. Or if I missed the insult. But he's insulting Bones by agreeing that he's a country doctor. Doctor, ship's temperature is increasingly uncomfortable for me. I've adjusted the environment of my quarters to 125 degrees, which is at least tolerable. However, I... Well, I see I'm not going to be making any house calls on you. I wondered if perhaps there was something which could lower my sensitivity to cold. I'm not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor. Yes. As I always suspected. I, I don't really see what's offensive about that. But there you go. I'm a doctor. Yes, you are, doctor. I oh. never thought otherwise. Uh, okay. Touche. So's your face. That's basically <laughs> what he says. So's your face. All right, so that's uh, that's all for this week. Um, we're going we're gonna to go a little easier this season on uh, bunching up the, the multi-episode uh, podcast. Uh, but next week we are doing three. Mm -hmm. uh, our friend Gav Brown will be joining us to uh, to review um, a couple of episodes that elude me at the moment, plus Trouble with Tribbles. Yes. Which is, uh, that 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 in itself excites me, just because that's one of the touchstones. You know, we did Mirror Mirror, we did a Mock Time. Trouble with Tribbles is one another one of those. That yeah, just one of those ones that people who haven't, even, who haven't even seen Star Trek know about. Yeah, everybody knows what a Tribble is. Yes. So that'll be fun. And, and uh, I think you'll be surprised to learn that uh, it's not just a bunch of cliches and not as good as it as you think. It's actually better than you think. Yes. So look forward to that. Um, so that's all for this week. Oh, uh, shirts. Um, we have been pre-selling uh, Post-Atomic Horror logo shirts on mm. postatomichorror.com. Uh, those will only be available for pre-order until the first week of March, and then we're ordering them. Um. I would like to make them available for longer. However, I'm going to be totally frank with you. I have a shirt in this order, and I want my shirt. Yeah, me too. <laughs> this is all impatience on our part. We want to do this order quickly because we want We want shirt. our goddamn shirts. Because they look so cool. I, I, in, I accidentally made the logo bigger than I wanted, and it looks awesome when it covers most of the shirt like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm really looking forward to, to wearing that thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a little dorky to wear your own logo around, but uh, who cares? Fuck it. Who cares? This is why we do a podcast. Yeah, well, we we do a podcast for many reasons. No, this is the only reason I do this podcast, is so that someday I can have a shirt with the podcast name on it. Well, very well. Uh, in any case... I'm we're complicated. Not, we're not only looking to sell 12. 12 is our minimum, but if we sell 30, that's awesome. We would love yeah. to do that. But the, we need a minimum of 12. We're almost there, and I don't want to hold the door open forever. So No, so please. First week of March, because i got a couple of people who just want to hand me cash... Mm -hmm. uh, at Emerald City Comic Con, so uh, that'll be the last orders that I take. So please, if you want to buy one, please do. If if you're if you want to buy one and you can't quite make it to March, uh, drop us an email and I will uh, I will extend it a little longer for you or something. But uh, we really need to get moving on this. So uh, if you want a shirt, please get one. Mm -hmm. And that's all for us for this week. Uh, yep. we'll be back next week. See you, folks. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. 
This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed.